You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. All right, our time is up. We're going to start. So as Michael said, my name is Fiona. Most of you will probably know me as Farad's wife. So I've been up here before. You may remember the last time that I was here, I was not standing in this position. I was sitting on a bar stool preaching. First time ever in my life having to do so. But praise God, I'm standing on my own two feet today. So uh, I have been part of Grace Church for 20 years, which does actually make me old, much and all as Michael tried to give me a compliment. It does make me old to have been in this church for 20 years. I am a Christian for longer than that, and God has been very good to me during that time. So this morning, what I want to talk about is... There's a light there that's actually shining in my eyes, so I'm going to have to stand somewhere else. (laughs) What I want to talk about this morning is the spiritual battle that we are in as Christians. The Bible teaches us that we are all in a spiritual battle. But it also teaches us what we can do about that battle. And that's what we are going to look at this morning. The uh, text that we are reading from is Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 18. If you want to look in your own Bibles, you may do so, but it'll also be up on the screen for us. We're going to start with the first part of that passage. And the first part of that passage tells us, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like something right out of the pages of a fantasy novel. When you read that, you think, my, does that actually happen? Yes, it does. If the Bible tells us that this is the battle we are in, then this is the battle that each and every one of us as believers is in. So it might seem like something very far-fetched, but the truth of it is that there is another realm. There is a heavenly realm. And within that realm... There is a battle going on. And those battles are between good and evil forces. And we are involved in that battle as well. But the Bible also reassures us that there is something that we can do about it. And it tells us here that we are to stand firm. That if we put on the armor, we will be able to stand firm. And I was reading in my preparation for this message about different battles in history, and I came across a battle. It was during the Third Mithridatic War. Now, I had never heard of this war before. I don't know how many people in the room know anything about the Third Mithridatic War. But it was about 70 BC, and it was between the Roman army and the Mithridatic army. And basically, during one of the battles, the two armies are kind of getting ready, lining up on their own battle lines, getting ready to attack the other army, when all of a sudden, what most people assume was a meteorite, fell from the sky, crashed to the ground, and gave off a loud sound like a bomb dropping. Each of the armies assumed the other one had attacked, and each one of them turned and ran the other way. So, 
If you are in the battle this morning, you are not to be like the Roman army. You are not to be like the Mithridatic army. You are called to stand firm. If you hear the bomb going off, don't turn and run the other way. The Bible tells us to put on the armor and to stand firm. And what is the battle that we are in? Well, the battle that we are in is a battle between our spirit and the enemy. And the enemy's aim is to prevent us from living lives of holiness, from living lives that are set apart from God and from bringing glory to the name of God. That is his aim in this battle. And what is what have we been given in order to fight this battle? We have been given the Holy Spirit and we have been given an armor. So we're going to look first at the Holy Spirit. So this verse is written to, this passage is written to believers. It's not written to non-believers. This passage was written to believers. What I mean by believers is people who are saved. What do I mean by salvation? Well, salvation is the deliverance by the grace of God from eternal punishment for sin through the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you say that you are saved, it means you have come to the understanding that you are a sinner, that the price to be paid for that sin is death, but that the price has been paid by someone else for you. And that is the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ paid the penalty of your sin. So that is what I mean when I say to be saved. So if this morning you do not know that you are saved, that you have never come to the realization that you are a sinner and there is a price to be paid for that sin, then I would encourage you to open your Bibles, to read the truth of the word of what Jesus Christ has done for you, to talk to somebody here in the church about what it means to be saved so that you can stand on the knowledge that Jesus' death and resurrection has paid the price for you. For the rest of us who are believers and who know that we are saved, we must understand that at the time of our salvation, when we became born again, we received the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit came and lives inside in us, we are told in 1 Corinthians 3 that it says, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the spirit of God lives in you? Now, that means that if you have confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord and that his death and resurrection has paid the price for your sin, at that moment, the Holy Spirit came and made his home in you and you became a temple of the spirit of God. Now, the temple, as we know from the Old Testament, housed the presence of God. If you are now called the temple of the Holy Spirit, it means that you now house the presence of God. And we are told in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that it is God who enables us to what? To stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us. He has identified us as his own. How did he do that? By placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the installment that guarantees everything he has promised us. The Holy Spirit is like a deposit of our future. It is the first installment. 
It is like the down payment on everything that God has promised us. All the future glory we have already received a deposit that we hold in our hearts of that future. But what does the Holy Spirit do for us? Well, we are told that the Holy Spirit gives us power. And in the battle, we need power. But what type of power does the Holy Spirit supply? In Romans 8, it says, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. Now, that means... That the same spirit that raised Jesus' dead body out of the grave and back to life lives inside each and every one of us believers. The same spirit, we are told. Not a fraction of that spirit, not a watered down version of that spirit, but the same life-raising spirit lives inside each and every one of us. Now, I don't know, but that gets me excited to think that that fullness of power of the Holy Spirit lives inside in me. We are also told in 1 John 4, verse 4, you belong to God. You have already won a victory because the Spirit who lives in you is greater than the Spirit who lives in the world. That means that the spirit that we have inside in us is greater than anything we can encounter in this world. What spirit are they talking about when they say the spirit who lives in the world? They're talking about the devil and all of his army because the devil has an army. Make no mistake, the devil exists. The lie today is that there is no devil and there is no hell, but there is. The Bible teaches us that there is a devil, we have an enemy, and there is, that hell is real. And we need to know our enemy. You do not fight an enemy effectively that you do not know. So let us know and understand who our enemy is. Our enemy is the devil, and this is what we're told about him. We are told in 1 Peter 5 to stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Now, did you know that the average lion weighs about 180 kilos? That, in old money, is about 400 pounds. Now, that is a big animal. It can run at speeds of up to 80 kilometers an hour or 50 miles an hour. That is how fast a lion can run. And his roar can be heard for up to eight kilometers away. Now, if a lion roars and you are eight kilometers away, you will hear him roar. Now, if I knew that there was a 180-kilo roaring lion sitting outside my front door, I don't think I'd ever leave the house again. That is a frightening animal. And we are told that he is looking for someone to devour. He's not sitting there licking his paws. He is looking for someone to devour. And that someone 
can be you, that someone can be me. But remember, we have been told that the power that was, is within us is greater than the power that is in the world. So the power of the Holy Spirit in you is greater than the 180 kilo lion waiting to devour you. We are told that his purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. Remember I said his aim is to stop us from living lives that bring glory to God. His aim is to not let us be free from the power of sin in our lives. That is what he aims to do. But we do not have to live in fear of the enemy because we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And unfortunately, sometimes Christians live in fear of the, Holy, of the, of the devil, not in fear of the Holy Spirit, hopefully. <laughs> they live in fear of the devil. And I want to reassure you this morning that we do not have to live in fear. And one of the things that Christians are afraid of, and I cannot understand it, is they are afraid of being demon-possessed. Now, demon possession, as you can see from the diagram on the screen, is the one on the right. And that shows that the person, when they are demon-possessed, is indwelt by an evil spirit. Now, as Christians, we cannot, cannot be indwelt by an evil spirit if we have the Spirit of God inside in us. And remember we learned that when we are born again, the Holy Spirit comes and makes his home inside in us and we become temples of the Holy Spirit. If you are a temple of the Holy Spirit, you cannot have any other spirit inside in you. So stop living in fear of the enemy. However, and if you look at the circle on the left of the diagram, we can be oppressed by demons. And if you see inside in the circle, it says that the believer is indwelt by God's spirit, but the attack of the enemy comes from the outside, not from the inside. It comes from the outside. And at the moment, as Michael has already mentioned, there's an awful lot in the media about this coronavirus, COVID-19. And there is a spirit of fear that is attacking people. People are afraid. And the media is hyping up the fear. And they are feeding that fear. But it is a spirit of fear that is driving that. And that spirit of fear can settle on somebody. And it can make them afraid. Afraid to leave their house. Afraid to come to church. Afraid to shake their neighbor's hand. But as believers, the power that is within us is greater than any spirit of fear. And we must fight that fear. That is the battle that we are in. We are fighting any of the demonic oppression, any attacks from the enemy, we are fighting it. So now we're going to learn how we fight it. We continue in Ephesians 6. It says, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. We are going 
to take each piece of that armor and learn what it means and how we apply it in the battle. So the first piece of the armor that we were told about is the belt of truth. The Roman soldier's belt was a very important piece of the armor. It might sound like it's just a belt, but Roman soldiers wore tunics. And so one of the first things that they did after putting on their tunic was to put on the belt. One of those reasons for the belt was a very practical reason, because the tunic may blow open during the battle. Now, I don't know, but there's no way I'd like to meet a Roman soldier on the battlefield with his tunic flying open, all right? So that was one of the very practical reasons for putting on the belt, was to keep all of his clothes together. But also, this belt was somewhere that he could put his weapons on. So it had places to attach the weapons onto, and... It very often had a record of previous victories. So there was different medals and different battles that this soldier had won were recorded on his belt. Now we are told that the belt that we have in our spiritual battle is the belt of truth. That means the truth of God's word. So truth is found in the Bible. And if you are ever wondering if something that you're hearing in the world is true or is not true, check in with the word of God. Because the truth of God's word is what holds us together. It is what pulls everything together in our lives. It is also the linchpin for any of the weapons that we are going to use. And it holds numerous records of victories. That God has already won. You can open the Bible and find multiple records of victories that God has won on behalf of his people. And what do that does reading those victories do for us? It gives us a stronger sense that God is on our side. It allows us to put our trust in a God who rescues his people. So that is what the belt does for us. The next item that we are told to put on is the breastplate of righteousness. So the breastplate is like the body armor. So it covers the soldier's vital organs. It covers the heart and the chest and all of the organs in there. And we are to- the, the soldier wears this to protect himself from any blows or any uh, st- like a stab from a, a sword. The breastplate will will he- will protect him from any of that. And we are told that the breastplate that we wear in our spiritual battle is the breastplate of righteousness. So righteousness is the holiness of God. And we are in the Bible we're taught that there are two types of righteousness that we as Christians have. The first one is called imputed righteousness. I'm not sure if it's a word that you're familiar with, but imputed means to have something that is not your own. Okay? So that means that when, as Christians, we stand with on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. When we become Christians, we are saying that we come under the righteousness of Jesus, that his death And his resurrection paid the price for our sin. And therefore we are covered with his righteousness. When we stand before the Father, it is the righteousness of Jesus that he sees. 
So that is the imputed righteousness. And the imparted righteousness, imparted means that it's something that is given from one to another. And the imparted righteousness that we have as Christians is the power of the Holy Spirit to change. So the Holy Spirit is working inside each and every one of us. Even if you feel sometimes that there is no change going on, we are told and promised that the power of the Holy Spirit is changing and renewing us. This is the process of sanctification, the power of the Holy Spirit to change. So when we look at this imparted righteousness, the breastplate that we wear in our spiritual battle is the righteousness that Jesus Christ has given us when he covered our sins, but it is also the power of the Holy Spirit for us to live rightly. That means that we no longer sin, that we are no longer slaves to sin because the Holy Spirit is giving us the power to resist sin, the power to live rightly. And it is that power that we wear in the battle so that no accusation from the devil can pierce us like a sword. If you know that the Holy Spirit is empowering you to change and that you are no longer a slave to sin, when the devil tries to land an accusation at you about the way that you're living, you can refute it with the truth that you are living for God, that you are refusing to fall into sin, that you are using the righteousness from the Holy Spirit to fight sin. Because unconfessed sin in our lives is like a chink in that armor. It's like a hole in our armor. So if you imagine this breastplate and it covers fully from here down to here, and it is made of a strong material, possibly metal, and it is covering everywhere. Unconfessed sin is like leaving a hole in that armor. It allows us to be vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. So we must confess our sins. We must go before God and we must repent of those sins. And we must use the power of the Holy Spirit to transform us and to change us and to help us to resist sin. So that is the breastplate that we wear. The next thing we are told to put on are the shoes of the gospel of peace. Now, a soldier would not go into war barefoot, would they? It wouldn't make much sense to run into war with nothing on your feet. In fact, military boots are generally made of very strong leather. They have a steel-capped toe to protect the soldier's foot, and they need to be sturdy so that the soldier can run for miles in a battle. The, the Roman soldiers did not wear steel-capped military boots, but they did wear this sort of a sandal that you see here, on the screen. And underneath, as you can see on the picture, the sole of the foot, there were these studs. Have you ever seen a football boot? On the the bottom of a football boot, there are studs. Those studs help the footballer to grip the ground so that when he takes maybe a strike at a ball, he's not going to land on the flat of his back. In the same way, the studs on the bottom of the soldier's shoe were to help him to grip the ground so that the soldier could stand firm when he was facing the battle. And we are told 
that what the shoes that we wear are the shoes of the gospel of peace. What does that mean? What it means is what we are standing on is the truth of the gospel, which is the good news that Jesus Christ has made peace with the Father for us. So it is the truth, again, of God's word that we stand firm on. When I was a young girl, actually up until very recently, and probably still to this day, any time I was involved in a chase, so you know when you're small and you play catch with your sisters or your friends, and that means that one person chases the other until they catch them? Well, any time that I was in a game of catch, I would be fine. I would start out strong. I'd run away from my, uh, <laughs> my catcher until I realized that they were gaining ground on me. And all of a sudden, I would feel the fear grip me, and I would stop. And I could go no further. Now, my sister, Siobhan, my younger sister, thought this was hilarious. She thought it was so funny that she, who was younger than me, would always be able to catch me because I would only get so far before I would freeze in fear. And she would catch. So very regularly, she would suddenly, out of nowhere, shout, I'm going to catch you, Fiona, just to see my reaction. And my reaction was always the same. I'd start out running, and then I'd just stop. That is not the type of standing firm that we're talking about here. I was always caught, always captured. What we're called to do is to stand firm and fight. We are called to stand firm on the truth of the news that Jesus Christ has saved us and turn to our enemy and fight him. Let's not freeze in fear. Let's not run away because we think the other army has bombed us. Let us stand firm on the truth of God's word and fight our enemy. The next thing that we are called to put on or to take up is the shield of faith. Now, the shield, we are told, was to ward off the fiery arrows of the enemy. So if you see here, the shield is like a double protection. The soldier already has on the body armor, and now the soldier takes up the shield and holds it in front of his face and his his upper body. And he uses the shield in his hand to fight off any fiery arrows that his enemy may be firing at him. And the shield that we are told to hold is the shield of faith. Faith in God. Trust in God. Trust that God is on our side. That is what we are holding up. What sort of arrows does the enemy use to attack us? He uses things like temptation, greed, lust, anger, jealousy. All of those are like darts at us. All of those things are coming at us. And we need to say, I trust that what God has for me is better than anything that the enemy can offer me. Sin is a lack of trust in what God has for us. Sin is a dissatisfaction with what God has for us. If you think of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they had everything. Everything that was created was theirs to enjoy, except one thing, the fruit of one tree. That was the only thing that they were told not to touch. And what did the enemy do? He made them dissatisfied. He came and he said, why would God hold the best from you? Why is he not giving you that one thing? What do you think is in it? What do you think that he's withholding from you? 
And suddenly, instead of being satisfied with everything that was theirs, they looked at that one thing that was off limits and became dissatisfied. And it is the same for you and for I. In our lives, we can become dissatisfied. Dissatisfied with what God has given us. Dissatisfied with all of the things that he has done for us. And we can look at something else and think, I wonder what that would feel like. I wonder why that thing is off limits. I wonder would my life be better if I did that or had that. And we become dissatisfied. And we stop trusting God. And we stop trusting that God knows best for us. And we stop trusting that God is on our side. And we choose to sin instead. But we need to take our shield of faith and we need to hold up our trust in God like a shield and say, no, I will not be dissatisfied. I will not believe the lie of the enemy that there is something better out there. I know that this is the best. Whatever God has for me is better than anything that anyone else can offer me. The next thing that we are told to put on is the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation. A helmet would have protected the soldier's head from any blows of the enemy, any attacks of the enemy. Now, I want us to very quickly look at what salvation... We've already talked about salvation and what salvation means. But there are three stages of salvation. There is past, present, and future salvation. Past salvation is what we talked about at the start of this. It is the moment where we are saved from the penalty of sin. And that is called justification. Present salvation is what we talked about, the power of the Holy Spirit. We are saved from the power of sin in our lives. And that is called sanctification. And future salvation is when we will be saved from the presence of sin. The promise of God is that one day we will be with him where there will be no more sin. And that is called glorification. So those are the three stages of salvation in our lives. And when we come under attack from the enemy, at some times in our lives, we can come under attack and the enemy says, are you even saved? Do you know that you are saved? What does it even mean? How can you know you are saved? Other times we come under attack from the enemy and he says, have you changed at all? Aren't you the same old Fiona from before? And other times we can come under attack and wonder about the power or the the future that God has in store for us. Is it really true? In those moments, we must declare the truth of God's word. And we must say, I am redeemed. I am being made holy. And one day I will see the glory of God with my own eyes. That is how we come against the attack of the enemy in our minds. Will you say that with me this morning? We will say firstly, I am redeemed. Let's say it. I am redeemed. Next, I am being made holy. I am being made holy. And I will see the future glory of God. I will see the future glory of God. The next time that your mind is under attack, can I encourage you to say those words, to stand on that truth, to not believe the lie of the enemy. 
And the last thing that we are called to take up as part of the armor is the sword of the spirit. The sword of the spirit is the word of God. Now, I don't know if there's anyone in this room that has ever done sword fighting. Anyone? One person. Sword fighting. Is that you, John, back there? Is it an easy thing to do? It depends on who you're fighting. (laughs) It definitely does. Well, I don't know, but I don't think that I'd even be able to lift a sword. I think that sword fighting takes training and takes practice. I don't think that any soldier worth his salt would pick up a sword for the first time as he heads out into battle. He'll have trained in that and he'll have practiced it to make sure that he can use it effectively. And it is the same with the word of God. We need to train ourselves in the word of God and we need to practice how to use it. We need to know the word of God. You cannot use the sword unless you know it. You cannot use the word unless you know it. If we think this um, piece of armor is the only one that is both defensive and offensive. If we think about Jesus when he was being tempted in the desert. When he was being tempted by the enemy, what did he do? He used the word of God. So he quoted scripture, but he didn't randomly quote some verse and say, I think it's somewhere now in Nehemiah, maybe that he said something like, no, he used very specific scripture that suited exactly the attack of the enemy. And that is what we need to do in our life. We need to be to become so familiar with scripture that we can use it to defend ourselves against the enemy. We need to be so familiar with the word of God that we can use specific scriptures to refute whatever it is that the enemy is attacking us with. But it is also an offensive weapon. And that means that we can use it to attack. All of the other pieces of armor are to defend ourselves in the battle. This is the one piece of armor that we can use to attack. And we can use it to attack the lies of the enemy. We can use it to attack false teaching that we come across. We can use it to attack anti-God sentiment that we come across in the world. We can use the word of God both to defend ourselves from the attack of the enemy, but also to go on the attack. So that brings us to the very last piece of this passage, which says that we are to pray in the spirit. And that means that we allow the Holy Spirit to empower us to pray when we are under attack. It is not an easy thing to do. When you are under attack, your defenses go up. Maybe like me, you stand and you freeze and you get caught. But what we are called to do is to stand firm, put on every piece of that armor, most of which refer to the truth of God's word. And we are also called to pray in the spirit. So we allow the Holy Spirit to empower us. That might mean that we pray in tongues. It might mean that we pray out loud. It might mean that we get under our beds and hide and pray. It doesn't matter. What we need to do is to allow the Holy Spirit to empower our prayers. So my question for you this morning is what is your battle? What battle are you facing right now? And if you're not in a battle right now, Don't forget, the enemy is like a roaring lion waiting for someone to devour. And you will be in a battle. You will face a battle. And what are you going to do about it? Are you going to run? Are you going to freeze? Are you going to stand and fight? 
Are you going to put on every piece of that armor and fight your enemy? I hope that that's what you do. I hope that that's what I do when I'm in the battle. I'm going to call the worship team back up and we are going to sing the song, This is How I Fight My Battles. And I would encourage you this morning to stand as we sing and let us as the army of God use this as a battle cry. Let us sing, this is how I fight my battles. And let us think of each piece of that armor. And when we're done singing, I'm going to come back up and we are going to pray together. Stand stand if you will and let us join together. There's a table that you've prepared for me In the presence of my enemies